You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. And we want to welcome you wherever you are tuning in from. And we are living in times right now that have a lot of tension. There's a lot of tension under COVID-19 between keeping people safe and when can we get back to real life. And there's a tension that we feel, but I believe that God uses tension to amplify himself. And I I just want you to know that in the midst of all these inconveniences, that I believe that God is providing us with opportunity to make his name great, to make himself known, and that people are open to listening to him and to learning from him in a new and unique way because of the tension that we're currently in. But that's not always the case. I know a student in Colorado who, after enduring the tragic shooting at Columbine High School, walked away from the Lord because he knew in his head that God is all powerful, that God's all sovereign, that he's almighty, but he could not reconcile that fact with the things that still happen that are evil in this world, from the evil one, from evil people. And so he walked away from his childhood church. I know a girl who has a brilliant mind and studies fossils in Colorado, and she grew up in a church learning the truth and hearing it, but wasn't allowed to ask good questions. And so she concluded that the church doesn't really think about science. So she walked away. I know a young adult who grew up in the church talking about doing good things, and his parents would always sit there and they would, they would stand and sing and they would sit and they would listen but they never lifted a finger to do anything differently in their neighborhood. Well, he walked away from the church to make a difference in his community. There's a tension that people feel between church and their real life. Here's the trouble for us as a, as a teacher or as a preacher or as a parent or even a friend, in order to get people to respond to what is in fact true, it's easy to remove truths that support it. It's tension. And I have a rubber band, and if you have a rubber band lying around the house or on the paper next to you, you might want to take that out. And if I told you to take this rubber band and just crinkle it up in your hand and just throw it at somebody, you would say, what's the point? That does, they'd hardly even feel it. But if I told you to take this rubber band and put it between your fingers like this and hold it back and put it on the small of someone's arm right next to you and just let that go, you would all start laughing in your house because you know that that would feel really bad on the back of the arm. Why? Because tension increases the power. It's easy for us to remove other truths that support things that in fact are true. Write this down if you're taking notes. When you remove the tension, right? If you remove the tension, you remove the energy. It's just not there anymore. If you remove the tension, you remove the influence, If you remove the tension, you diminish the truth. And what happens is the effort between things that are actually true and other truths that exist in life, when we try to focus people just on the truths that are in the Bible, it is often easy to diminish other truths that, in fact, amplify it. I know churches who say, God said so, so just do it. I know churches who don't allow good questions. I know parents who, out of fear for their kids' beliefs, won't wade into talks with them about sexuality or about science. 
I know churches who want to split over evangelism or discipleship. You say, well, what's that? Evangelism is letting the furthest out person at least have the chance to hear the good news that Jesus died on the cross for them, that their sins could be washed away, that they could be forgiven no matter what they've done, that they could have eternal life with Jesus when the tensions of life are gone. Discipleship is taking people who've already made that decision and growing them up to be fully devoted Christ followers in their faith. But I know churches who have argued for discipleship or for evangelism and have split over the issue. And when they split, the power of each is gone. Why? Because the tension between evangelism and discipleship, both of which are needed, is now gone. Let me ask you a question. What wins games? Offense or defense? It's a trick question because, of course, the answer is both. That the coaches who succeed the best, who do the best, are the ones who throughout the game manage the tension between offense when it's needed and defense when it's needed. They manage that tension. And the coaches who manage that tension inevitably will be the coaches who rise to the top of the pack. Both are needed. You need tension in order to win. But I want you to know that God uses tension in a much bigger way The reason that we don't like tension is that we think it threatens what is true. If there's tension, if I don't know it all, if I don't have all the answers, then we think it minimizes what in fact is actually true, but it doesn't. We think sometimes it might water down the truth if there's tension, but it doesn't. That tension must exist. We think it competes with what it's true, but it doesn't. Reggie Joyner said this, the mercy of God doesn't diminish the justice of God. Think about that for a moment. God's mercy doesn't diminish his justice. In fact, Reggie Joyner says that God's mercy amplifies God's justice. That God was so convinced that things are going to be just, that things must be made right, that he himself was willing to take his own rule, the punishment against sin, and pay for it in full so that justice could be served through an act of mercy, an act of love. So what did love do? What did mercy do? It amplified his justice. It didn't diminish it at all. It didn't compete with it at all. It didn't threaten it at all. God uses tension to help us understand him in a much bigger way. Works don't water down the grace of God. They amplify it. If you come under the grace of God, you work and do right things to support what God has already done in you. You're saying, my life has been changed and I want to do right because God did something so right for me that I could never buy. Love doesn't mute the law of God. It amplifies it. That God's love for us amplified the Old Testament law. And Jesus, time and again, didn't come to abolish the Old Testament law. He came to fulfill it in his flesh. And he came in his love to amplify what the Old Testament law was trying to get at all along. Write this down. Sometimes a truth can lose clarity when it is divorced from some other truths that amplify it. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to look at the issue of tension. And I want to walk over here and just show you a couple things real quick about these areas of tension. We're going to look at the truth on one side and supporting truths on the other side. For example, it is true that you can know God. You can know him. Yet it's also true that God is a mystery, that God can do what God wants to do. 
Both are true, but sometimes people try to divorce it when they don't understand what God is up to, that God is a mystery. It's true that God has an ideal. He has an ideal for how you and I live our lives. He has a right way of doing things. He has an ideal, but praise God, he uses broken people. People who haven't lived up to God's ideals, he still uses them in their lives and makes broken things beautiful. The Bible is all true. It's all true. But it's also true, let me say this carefully, that there are true things about life that are not recorded in the Bible. The Bible is all true, but it doesn't contain every element of true. The Bible doesn't contain issues of flight and airline travel. There are sciences behind that that are not included in the Bible. Those are truths about life. The Bible is not in conflict with those truths just because it didn't exist in the Bible. But the Bible is all true. You can know God in a moment, in a moment, just like that. But it'll take you forever to figure it out. How to walk as a fully devoted Christ follower, but you can come and receive Jesus Christ in a moment. This is one that's huge, and I wish our culture understood it, that your beliefs matter, but people matter more. And if you use your beliefs to mistreat people, then there's something wrong with your beliefs. Next, you can enjoy church. It's okay to enjoy church, but it's also okay to enjoy living in the world that God created. That there's beauty in his creation. There's great things about living life as God has given us the ability to enjoy that. Trust will increase your faith. But also doubts can increase your faith. Because you're working through real questions to get them answered. And last, God is good. That's true. God is good. But it's also true that we should do good. We should do good. And so we're going to deal with the first tension that I want to talk about in this series. And that is this, that you can know God, but God is also a mystery. You can know him, but he is a mystery. I don't know everything. How do I know this? I have three boys. And they would ask us questions all the time. I mean, if you're honest, we think in our head that we already know what it means to know God. And we think that maybe our way of worshiping God is better than other ways that other people worship God and and have other types of Christian worship. But let me tell you, there are things about God that are so much higher than our thoughts, that are so much greater than our ways and bigger than our ways. So yes, you can know God. But don't ever forget this. God is also a mystery. God can do what God wants to do. And we see this supported all the time in the scripture. And so if you have your Bible, open with me to John chapter 9. Jesus and his followers at the time are walking by a man who's on the side of the road. He's born blind and he's begging on the roadside. And the disciples ask Jesus, they say this. They say, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents that he was born blind. See, this question that they had come out of a lot of time in front of other rabbis and Pharisees. The disciples had heard growing up so often that someone with a physical infirmity, that it was a judgment from God on them, and that's why they had it. So a person who was born blind, they're saying, well, 
he was born blind, did this guy have a chance to sin or was it because his parents sinned? I'm assuming, God, that it's because it was his parents sinned and so it made this kid blind. But that doesn't really feel fair. And so what they're saying is, God, we feel like there's a tension there and we're not sure what to do with it. I hear it all the time today. People ask, did I get an illness because of God's judgment on me? Is COVID-19 something that has come upon humanity because of God's judgment on humanity? People think when bad things happen, they think, why me? And they think, is God judging me? And they begin to wonder if, in fact, that's the case. God must be punishing me. What did I do wrong? Let me tell you this, that all physical problems, including all problems for that matter, are as a result of sin. Paul says in Romans chapter eight that when sin first entered the world, everything broke. So along with sin came disease. Along with sin came natural disasters. Along with sin came a natural sin nature that all of us were born with. But to blame a specific disability or disease or disaster on a person because of their individual sin, well, we just don't have the knowledge to do that. But the disciples ask based on what they've heard in their form of church from the Pharisees. And the scriptures pick up in Jesus's answer in John chapter nine, beginning with verse three. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. And go, he told them, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, Jesus is God in flesh. He's the God man, the only one that ever existed, fully God and fully human. And you might ask the question, well, why did he heal that way? You know, he could have just spoken something and healed the blind person. He had done that before. He could have just touched the person and healed them. And he's done that before. But why did he do this? Why did he do something different? You can just imagine this blind man on the side of the road. He's never seen color. He's never seen light. He wouldn't understand those if you described them to him. All he's known is to be born blind, but when you're blind, your other senses are increased. My guess is that his hearing was really, really good. And that he would hear the disciples asking this rabbi, Jesus, why he was blind. And he listened in and he could hear. And Jesus decides to do something amazing, miraculous in favor of this man. And so you can just imagine, he's anticipating, wow, how is he going to answer you? Jesus says, this was not my fault, and it wasn't my parents' fault. It's just a natural condition. And then he hears Jesus go, and spit on the ground. And I need to tell you something. This is the Middle East. It is dry. It's like the climate here in California. You get in your summertime and everything is just dried out. There's dust everywhere. And the scriptures say that Jesus made mud. It takes a lot of spit to make mud. He didn't just say damp 
dirt. It says that he made mud. And, and you can just imagine that he just hawks this big loogie. He spits on the ground. I don't know, maybe he invited some of the other disciples to help him spit. Come on, guys. We need a little bit more moisture here. We need to make mud for this man's eyes. And Jesus makes the mud and he puts it on the man, blind man's eyes. I got to remind you something about Jesus and his disciples. The guys that followed Jesus were real men. They were real guys. A lot of people think that like Peter and John would walk around and they would just talk to Jesus like, greeting thou great Jesus. But that's not how they talked. These were real men. These were real guys. Peter and John, a few others were fishermen. They basically lived a lot of their life outdoors. They camped out. They would rip big ones and blame it on the others. And my point is that these guys had to be sitting there watching what Jesus is doing very unexpectedly and they are cracking up at what they're seeing. And, you know, probably Peter is like elbowing his neighbor and saying, boy, that blind guy sure didn't see that coming. And then they all groaned with laughter. That Jesus makes this mud and he puts it on the man's eyes. Write this down if you're taking notes. With God, expect the unexpected. One thing I love is hearing stories from you of how God reached you, how you came to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. I love that so much. Few people come to Christ through the same way. I mean, let me explain. So oftentimes people come to Christ because they, God begins to work in their mind. They begin to critically think logically through all the things they might think about the prophecy of Christ. And they might think about how Jesus has fulfilled over 400 Old Testament prophecies in his single lifetime. And then they go, logically, there's no other reason but to believe in Jesus. They might think of the resurrection, that over 500 witnesses at one time saw Jesus rise from the dead. They would say other people had seen him risen from the dead. And the fact of Jesus rising from the dead is not contested in history by those who were there, whether they were pro-Jesus or against Jesus. And they would say, I need to believe that might have an implication for me. And so they think through their mind. Other people, it's through the heart. They know the condition of their life and their hearts are burning within them as the scriptures are open to them and they come to Jesus because it's the heart. For other people, it's their thoughts or other people, it's their love or other people, they are having dreams. Did you know right now on the mission field, we're oftentimes hearing dreams of Muslim people who are saying, Jesus appeared to me in a dream and revealed truth about himself and I became a Christian and renounced my Muslim faith. Nobody comes to Christ in exactly the same way. Your story is unique to you. With God, you can expect the unexpected. What happened? You were blind. But now you can see. Jesus goes on and the story here is it's told us in John 9, chapter 9, verse 8 says, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was and others said, no, nah, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. Guys, it's me. I mean, he's basically sitting there going like, guys, it's me. Think about this for a moment. This is this man's first hour of his life seeing He's seeing light. He's seeing colors. He's just amazed that things are so colorful and that things are so amazing. And he's so excited. And the people are like, I don't think it's you. And he's like, guys, 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 it's me. And he's all excited. He's kind of like ADD. And he's basically saying, wow, this is amazing. I can see colors. I can see flowers. I can see things. And he looks over there and he's like, wow. And 
And Ruth is a lot hotter than she sounds. And then they're like, hey, hey, whoa, easy, easy. ADD, come on back, come on back, come on back to us. And the people asked him, well, how then were your eyes open, they asked. Verse 11, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to the Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and then I could see. And then they asked, where is this man? They asked him and he said, I don't know, he said. I mean, I don't know if you've ever watched after a sporting event or at a press conference or maybe even sometimes at a tragedy, but there sometimes are horrible interview questions, just the worst. They're asking the blind man to identify Jesus and he's only ever heard him. And and so the guy answers, he said, listen, I was blind. I went to wash, I can see. So unless that guy Jesus speaks, how in the world would I even know who the guy is to tell you who it is? I was blind. I'm not stupid, I was blind. I don't know who the guy is. Well, what do the people do? They say, well, we gotta take him to the Pharisees. If this man's experienced a healing on the Sabbath, then we gotta take him to the Pharisees and they need to like check him out and then make him acceptable to come into the temple to worship. So the people take him to the Pharisees and the Pharisees say to him, well, Jesus is not a man from God. They say he would never do it. Why? Because he healed them on the Sabbath. So someone who's godly would never heal someone on the Sabbath. So obviously Jesus is not from God. And the Pharisees listen to him, but they don't believe the guy. And so they say, well, we need some backup on this. We don't believe this guy was actually blind. So we need to investigate his parents. So they go get his parents and they drag his parents in and they ask him, hey, your parents, is this your child? They say, yes, it's our child. How long has he been blind? He's been blind since birth, his whole life. And they're like, well, how did he see? They're like, we don't know. And they basically say, listen, our son is an adult. This is a man, it's not a child. This man is old enough to answer for himself. They say, ask him. See, the parents are afraid of the Pharisees. If the Pharisees don't like what the parents say, they could get kicked out of the synagogue, which is their church. They're afraid of that. So they basically pass the buck and say, just ask him, he's an adult. You can figure it out through him. Well, John 9, 24 and following says this, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. They're talking about Jesus. He replies, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. And then they asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've already told you and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They basically did what happens when they have a no-win argument. They just say, you're an idiot, and they get rid of him. Why? Because they have no ability to argue against what God has done. With God, 
You can expect the unexpected. And that's what's happened to this man. But write this down. The song is in the tension. If I had before you a guitar and I would just show you the neck of the guitar and the body of the guitar and the frets of the guitar and then the strings of the guitar, the guitar works all together with the wood and with the tension on the strings to make a beautiful sound. When a guitar is tuned correctly, what it simply means is that the tension is right. And all those components are working together to maintain the tension. And when the tension is right, you have a beautiful song. Did you know that God wants to use your life and my life as a song for him? Does he want your life and my life to have some tension in it because it reveals him for who he is? Do you want to realize that you can know God and yet God is still a mystery? God can do what God wants to do. In John 9, 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, and I love that by the way, when Jesus found him. Isn't that good news? It's what he wants to do with you. When Jesus found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. What Jesus has just told him is that the Old Testament reference of the Son of Man from Isaiah is now fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus right here is saying to this man, I am God. I'm the long-awaited Messiah. I am he. I am the light of the world. Jesus is claiming deity, that he is God right here. Well, how does the man respond? Verse 38, then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. He worshiped Jesus right then and there. It's interesting to watch the progression in this passage because at first the blind man says, well, there's a man named Jesus. He's he's this guy called Jesus. Well, yeah, he is. And then they speculate, well, maybe he's a prophet. He's a prophet of some sort. And like, well, yeah, Jesus is. But now he's the savior. He is God. And this man worships Jesus right there. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who heard, who were with him, heard him and said this, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus' statement right there says, if you have that physical condition, that deformity, that disability, it's not because of your sin. He's saying that that was given to this man so that this man's life would glorify God. He said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But to the Pharisees, he says this, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. See, the Pharisees couldn't reconcile that God lo- God's love doesn't mute the law. In fact, they had come up with a book called the Mishnah, which heaped tons and tons of extra rules that were not from the Old Testament, not in the Bible, upon the people. And Jesus all the time was saying, you're the blind leading the blind. You're weighing down the people with loads that they themselves can't carry. In fact, you can't even carry those. Those rules aren't from God. And they were weighing down the people and they couldn't reconcile that love 
doesn't mute the law. In fact, it amplifies it. So Jesus, on the day of rest, the Sabbath, continued to do the work of God and healed this man. It's a beautiful picture of what he did right then. You can know God, but God is still a mystery. And some of you, I gotta be honest, have put God in a very theological box. You've kind of crammed him in there because it fits within your preferences. It fits within your thinking. It fits within your theology. And and if God were to be a mystery and to work or move outside the box that you created, your pride would be the greatest deterrent to you giving God glory and recognizing and seeing God for who he really is. Some of you think you already know God. You think, "I, I know all about God. I'm trying to remove the mystery of God and you're gonna put God in a box of human understanding and human limitations. And if that worked, let me be honest with you, he wouldn't be God, would he? You can know God, but God's a mystery. God can do whatever he wants to do. See, this is a tension to manage, not a problem to be solved. You're not gonna say God's all mystical all the time. No, God is made to be known. But you can know God, but he still can do whatever God wants to do. You've forgotten that he's a mystery and we need to know him every day, more and more in every season of life. Paul said it this way, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the, listen, the mystery of God namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Why? They lived in a culture where people through fine-sounding arguments tried to put God in a box to make God controllable, to make God fit within their preferences. See, the danger for you and me is that we can be full of knowledge about God but in fact be blind or not be walking with Jesus, not reading his word, not knowing the mystery of Christ in a, in a knowing way, a way that burns right through you where you actually know God. To encounter God is to engage with him regularly and to respond to him with belief and obedience the same way where you realize who the son of man is and you worship him. Then your eyes will be opened to who he is. You can know God. And yet God is still a mystery. God can do what God wants to do. And maybe right now that's what you need. You need to know God and you need to know that your sins can be washed away, that you can be forgiven. Maybe right where you are, just take a moment and pray a prayer like this after me to introduce yourself to God, to say, God, clean me, wash me, make me as white as snow. And if that's you today, you pray something like this, just right where you are, just pray this. Say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin and that you were buried and that you rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and wash me as white as snow. God, make me a new creation on the inside because today I give you me. And if today you pray that prayer right where you are, and you meant it with all your heart, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then your sins are washed away. You're completely forgiven, past, present, and future. The fear of death has no hold on you any longer. You are a new creation on the inside, and God's Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, to guide you, to open your eyes to the scriptures, to help you walk 
the rest of your life with God. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.